Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Junkyard Dogcast. I'm Jordan Hill. we got the whole crew with us this week, Rusty Mansell and Kip Adams. That's coming to you live on a Tuesday afternoon. Uh, fellas, uh, coming off a very big weekend for Georgia football, but obviously really a, a big weekend as far as everything that played out in, in college football. Start with you, Rusty. Just uh, how was the weekend for you, the experience, and uh, how is this week treating you so far? Um, Got to uh, go outside the stadium a little bit more than than normal and watch a little football. And, you know, you could tell uh, I was in town Thursday night, did a radio show Friday morning for 929 um, in town. You could tell Thursday night the buzz was, you know, big game buzz and that type of thing. And you didn't need any extra hype around it. But, you know, you could tell traffic as you come in. I don't know what Kip what Kip faced coming in, but traffic was really early. So I knew right then, you know, for three thirty game, you don't want to be on three sixteen at about eleven o'clock. Well, fortunately, by eight a.m., eight thirty a.m., it was already getting heavy. So you could tell what it was about to be like. Uh, and I think the most impressive thing Kirby may have mentioned, and I believe I saw, you know, nobody left. Rain even up, you know, three touchdowns at one point late in the game. Nobody left. I was standing in the corner of the end zone when. Uh, right there with kind of where Tennessee walked off the field, um, you know, and you look up, you know, from the view you had and the still the student section, that that whole north side, I mean, the, you know, the closed in the stadium, it's still nobody's left yet. So kind of tells you how big a game that was and, and people were there to enjoy that one. Kip, uh, we were up there in the press box with me. Uh, just what was the the takeaway for you? And then, and then again, what's uh, what's this when this week been like for you? Well, uh, it goes back to Kirby's call out. He, he asked the fans to show up and, you know, I haven't been to, a, you know, as many games as the guys like you normally on the beat. But as far as times I've been in Sanford Stadium, I mean, Georgia's, Georgia's up there, but they've never been known as like one of those top two or three as far as just the crowd noise, the impact. I mean, it was there, but it's not something that nationally is talked about. And there's no doubt that's changed now. Uh, that's that's the loudest I'd ever seen Sanford Stadium, and it was clear they made an impact in the game. I'm not going to sit here and say that that decibel uh, meter that was on the video screen is anywhere close to accurate when it was showing 132.6 or 127s all, all throughout the game, but it doesn't matter what the number was. I mean, you had seven false starts for, from Tennessee's offense. Uh, that place was rocking. I mean, even when it was raining, they did not let up. And as far as just the overall experience of watching that, you, you can't help but be impressed by that. Uh, that that aspect of that game, uh, the fans came through, and, and Kirby Spart knows now uh, he can rely on the Georgia fan base to show up just as they did at Notre Dame, just as they did, you know, in Charlotte. They, they can take over towns, and, and they can uh, have an elite. Uh, crowd experience that affects the opposing offense. And I think that was just the, one of the most impressive things I, I saw over the weekend. I got to laugh at that comment. Kip's hair has me thinking repeat. <laughs> I <ain't> even, uh, <laughs> I'm not even going to dignify uh, that. It's a, it's a, it's a cheap, man, but I, I'll give you credit for that. I'm better call dog. <laughs> I it, is like strong. it is strong. His hair is strong. Look, I'm not, I wish I could. Spike mine up still. No doubt about it. We, we're all very envious of Kip's look. That's for sure. Well, let's get into the game, the Tennessee game. Georgia wins at 27-13. As a lot of people have pointed out, it was never that close. 
Georgia jumps on Tennessee um, and hangs on. I think it might have been 24-6 at halftime. Tennessee gets a late touchdown, uh, probably about five, six minutes left in the game. I'll start with you, Rusty, just talking about the play on the field. What stood out the most to you about what Georgia was able to do, how they were able to shut down Tennessee defensively, and also the fact that Georgia was able to produce as many big plays as they did on offense? We didn't have a podcast Friday, so I was in Athens Friday, Thursday night, you know, was around town and talked to some people, you know, close to the program. And the word of the week was physicality and be physical with them. And I think when you look back, and I've watched this tape now twice, just the defensive series, even when Tennessee called a ball, they got hit. And I think that was kind of the message. Let's see how physical Tennessee really wanted to get because they are a, they're listen, they're a finesse offense. They are explosive. They want to run by you. Um, You know, they want to get you on your heels and do, do those things. Two things that stood out to me was the physicality of Georgia's defense and really, and truthfully, the inability of Tennessee to run against a five man box. I don't know that I've seen that. Um, When you got the numbers like that, that is, that's, that's a good situation to be in. That's what Tennessee stresses you because they spread you so far out you cannot help but play five in the box so that's exactly what they want to do to they did exactly what they wanted to do to georgia they were unable to control the line of scrimmage five on five and you know it had 42 carries for 94 yards i believe that's right kip um that was shocking to me so if i'm tennessee even if you rematch at some point, potentially, that's a big concern because you were unable to run the ball five on five. And that there's no way they thought that was going to be a problem. Uh, maybe not winning some 50-50 balls, crowd noise, but you always think you're going to have shorter distances on those chains because you're going to run five on five. It just doesn't happen. But, man, Georgia shut that down. I mean, those those three down linemen, they kept rotating. And those two linebackers are in the box. That was stunning to me to hold a team 42 carries for 94 yards. But the physicality, even when they completed something, they got hit. And as the game goes on, you start thinking about those things. You come across the middle. Am I going to take one right here? Am I going to am I going to short arm this thing a little bit? So, you know, look, you say what you want. But Georgia Saturday, they buckled it up and, and they came after Tennessee. They, they, they wanted to see how physical they really wanted to get when I came to it. Kip, what were your takeaways from what you got to see, especially being there and, and kind of getting to see that action line? The the narrative all week, the questions were all on Georgia's side. You know, how can Georgia's defense stop this prolific offense? And, and what Georgia's coaching staff credit, I mean, Kirby Smart, Glenn Schumann, Will Muschamp, uh, these guys know football. And you could tell, uh, like Rusty said, their plan was to play man. And this secondary, which we had talked about, hadn't really been tested, kind of young, had given up some plays here and there. The thing that stood out to me was you, you look at Malachi Starks, you, you look at Kamari Laster, you look at Keely Ringo and Chris Smith, they made 29 tackles. 24 of those tackles were solo tackles. They were all out there on an island, but at the same time, they didn't need help. They tackled their man, and if it was a six-yard gain, you know, it it was not a first down. It was not a big play, and and that allowed them to continue to play their defense, and and that really stood out. The other aspect of Georgia's defense was the fact that everyone talked about those sack numbers. 
No, Georgia's blasting the league in sack numbers. Only one sack a game. Can they get pressure on Hendon Hooker? The thing is about it is, is that Georgia's defense has gotten pressure better than any team in the conference this year. It was the opposing quarterbacks were getting the ball out quickly. Well, what does Tennessee's offense try to do? They try to stretch it out and push the ball down the field. Well, that takes more time. And when it takes more time, it allows these guys to, to get home. And Georgia did get home. They got credited with six sacks. But I think there were a couple tackles a little bit behind the line of scrimmage that got credited for no loss. Uh, it was really should have been eight sacks in that game. Uh, two, but, two, but it was 14 on third down. They got Tennessee off the field. Yeah. And the pressure was there. And I, I think the whole the, the narratives flip now. Uh, Georgia's secondary, Georgia's defense in the biggest game. Uh, the, the Georgia coaching staff had a great game plan. But at the same time, um, you know, it's not really you can only coach so much. Your players have to know what they need to do on the field. And they obviously did. They had the game plan. They stuck to it. And like Rusty said, you talk about physical, the mentality of this program and what Kirby Sparks tried to install is, is clear is that, that they want to physically dominate. They want to wear teams down on both sides of the ball. And it was clear when it did that. When that rain started coming down, that was probably the, you know, you, you probably saw a sigh of relief from the Tennessee players on both sides of the ball because they're like, well, this game will be over with quicker now. We can go ahead and go home because they were beat at that point. And then on the flip side of the ball, the other narrative was, uh, you know, Stacey Sarles, you know, the offseason, that hire. A lot of question marks. A lot of eyes were like, wait, that's who they hired? And here we are. We're nine games in. Georgia's offensive line, number one in the SEC in sacks allowed. And they're throwing the ball more than they ever have. 0.78 sacks allowed per game. That's number four in the country. Tackles for loss allowed. Number one in the SEC. 3.78 tackles for loss allowed per game. Number seven in the country. Statistically, right now, this offensive line is playing better than any other offensive line in the SEC. And they're a top 10 unit in the country right now. And should, you know, have a good chance to be a finalist for the Joe Moore Award yet again. So we've gone from Sam Pittman. We've had, you know, obviously, uh, Matt Luke did an outstanding job, uh, and they passed the bar to Stacey Searles. And so far, he's gotten it done, too. So you got to give credit right now, as we sit here nine games in, he's done an outstanding job with this offensive line. And I thought Devin Willock uh, in his first start did a very good job at left guard as well. But the, you got to give credit to him as well. The coaching staff has Georgia playing at the elite level. And, and the, again, back to the defense, they're starting to play I mean, they're they're not the the step down from last year's defense has not been near as uh you know as as noticeable as everyone thought. Yeah, I thought you made a good point bringing up Devin Willick. I mean, coming in there and making that start, and I mean there was no sign of drop off. I thought the offensive line played great, and you know I was really sort of struck by the fact coming into this game, I thought if Georgia turned the ball over, they could find themselves in trouble. That very first drive, they fumble, and I'm sitting up there thinking they just gave Tennessee a short field and a shot, not only one for Tennessee to go down and take the lead, but to kind of zap that Sanford Stadium crowd. You know, I don't think anybody would have left if Tennessee gets the lead first, but it would have kind of slowed them down a little bit. Credit to the defense for stepping up. And, again, credit to that crowd. You know, uh, Rusty brought up how bad Tennessee was on third down. Well, look at a lot of those third downs were third and longs because of false starts, because of how the noise affected that game. Um, you know, a lot of people 
talked about the fact that, you know, well, that only wound up being a 13-point win. Go look at that third quarter. Georgia's drive was like eight minutes and 50 seconds. I mean, I, I compared it to a snake just kind of like constricting whatever. I mean, yeah. it drives people nuts with Kirby Smart, especially we don't bet. But if you were to bet on Georgia and the overs and those things, if Georgia gets a lead, they're going to shut it down on you because you're not going to score. And that's exactly what they did. They threw the ball many times, four times? Something, something like that. It was not yeah. – and they didn't have to. And they converted three third downs. I mean, at that, I thought the game was pretty much in Georgia's control once Keeley made that interception in the second quarter. But – if you're a Tennessee player, they kept getting, especially on defense, they kept getting Georgia in third downs, you know, probably third and five, third and six, and Georgia kept converting. If you thought there was any chance of Tennessee coming back, I mean, that was just a gut punch after a gut punch. And, and that's credit to how Georgia was able to handle it, especially in the rain. Kirby talked after the game about once that weather kind of moved in, Look, you know, we kind of wanted to to do exactly what they did. You know, they just kind of wore out the rest of that game. And, you know, again, Tennessee doesn't find the end zone till really late in that game. And um, just just a, an outstanding performance. How about that punt? I can, I've never – the only punt I can – You know think, how to bring up that punt now. <laughs> I've never seen anything prettier than that. The only punt, and it was not nearly as far, would have been – I think this was 2015 it was against tennessee but it was a tennessee punt and it rolled out it took a bounce that looked like you know a tiger woods chip the way it fell checked and, up yeah and it I, if i'm remembering right it might have been grayson lambert they had to try to drive down the field and that's the game where reggie davis had that deep ball and he dropped it dropped it and yep. then uh tennessee wound up winning but oh my you know just an outstanding punt and uh, by Brett Thorson, and you got to give the punters love when they pull off something like that. That looked like something from like a Madden video game. He just I dropped that thing in there. His reaction, like the coming off the field, and the team, you know, you can imagine. I don't even know what time it was in Australia, but somebody was watching. Some of his boys were staying up watching to thinking, "What in the hell is he doing? This crazy sport over here, people are going nuts." But that that was a, that was a, probably a huge, huge moment in his career so far. Surely, uh, some some fosters were probably consumed watching no that game back home. No doubt. No doubt. Mm. I want to make sure in the comments somebody asked about Robert Bill. I wrote about this yesterday. You know, it looked like he had an apparent neck injury. Kirby didn't really know much after the game. Kirby told us on Monday that it was just a stinger. It sounds like they expect him to be back, and I think that's huge. Obviously, you're coming off of losing Nolan Smith. You need a guy with that kind of experience. And uh, Georgia looks like. Um, based on what Kirby told us, has avoided what would have been a very, very tough injury at a position of oh, need right now. They've been in trouble with that. I mean, they cannot take another injury there. Just don't have the experience or the depth at that edge. And and um, think about these COVID years. Robert Bill's back six years. I mean, that's it's invaluable now what's going on. We're going to take a quick break. We'll talk a little bit more about that Tennessee game, specifically the recruiting ramifications from it, and uh, then talk a little bit about Mississippi State. Welcome back, everybody. Well, I'm going to call up this question. Rusty, give us some news on recruiting. What are you hearing? Well, let's just talk about that atmosphere. Uh, you know, obviously, we talked, had a, a recruiting, pretty much a recruiting only podcast last week just preparing for Tennessee and the amount of visitors Georgia had. Rusty, what did you just hear generally from those guys um, about the experience and, and how beneficial do you think how that game played out and, and really how that entire weekend was 
how beneficial that was for Georgia. Well, it didn't suck for Georgia. I can tell you that. Uh, to, you can't pay for that type of advertisement from the crowd to winning a game like that. You just you hope things go that well. Um, you look Tennessee side when they beat Alabama, they had a bunch of major recruits up there. It's a huge deal to have that type of environment to have those players. Here's the one thing that that Kip and I kind of understand because we've been doing this so long and we and I get the scope of it. Everybody wants to know about 2023s, but you don't really piece together how many future SEC players in the 2025 class were sitting there watching that and the impression that puts on them as they move forward like that, that nothing's going to measure up to that maybe ever or for a while for that atmosphere. Uh, you know, how deep the talent was there, I think. To me, the news of the weekend, and I've been pronouncing his name wrong. I miscorrected this. It was Damon Wilson is what I've heard. Um, the five-star edge guy, five-star edge player out of Venus, Florida. Comes up, Venice, Florida, comes up. And, um, you know, that was kind of an unplanned visit. Uh, he and his dad come up for one more time. And and that was big for me to to see him back on there. He's Georgia. People that follow us every day knows Georgia needs depth at edge. Well, go watch his tape. You want to watch a dude in a frame that can bend and, and natural ability to rust a passer, set the edge. I mean, there's only there's only three or four guys like that per class. And uh, he's certainly one of those for me. If Georgia can land him, it didn't hurt to have him there. Now, will he go to Ohio State, Michigan? We'll find out in a couple of weeks. But uh, Georgia had him up again. And uh, that, that says a lot for me. Justice Haynes can't go without saying anything about Justice Haynes. And I get in text and people calling me. And, you know, I'll say this. I've been very open. The communication between Justice Haynes and Georgia has never stopped. Now, you know, obviously the ties, he's committed to Bama. Every time he has said something in public, he has said he is committed to Alabama. He comes on this visit. He meets with Dell McGee, his mom, his dad. A couple of friends came with him. They met with Kirby Smart. They met with Georgia staff. So it doesn't hurt Georgia at all. That's one of those things you kind of wait and see. Does he come back? You know, does Kirby get in home with him in December? When you get those when you get those in-home visits, does his Kirby Smart get into his house? Those type of things. So communications there. He takes a visit. But, you know, for justice, everything he has said publicly, um, you know, that he's still committed. And you saw Steve Wolfong had a really good piece. Uh, if everybody got a chance to read that yesterday, he interviewed his dad, Veron Haynes. He said, look, you know, I've told him to do his due diligence, you know, make sure you make sure you look at everybody, you know, you know, before this thing's over with. So, uh, you know, those words were to me were kind of interesting. We'll see where it goes, but he is an elite prospect. He has strong guys, University of Georgia for, for those reasons. But I think this is one of those weekends where you go back, you know, maybe a year from now and go, hey, they, they turned the tide a little bit there with that guy or this guy, this guy. We'll see where it is. But you cannot – put a price tag literally on what it was like to have those people. And I'm always the operation type guy. I want to, I asked a couple of players, Hey, was logistics bad getting to the stadium? Were you guys able? And there was no issue. So that tells you the scope of how many people Georgia has. Cause that was the largest, I believe group of recruits I've ever had under Kirby smart, not just star wise. I mean like people wise, total number wise. So getting those players, from where they park into that stadium, everything logistic-wise. So it uh, tells you how organized that apartment's ran right now and where they are because you want to make sure those game day visits are just as important. And, um, you know, Kirby Smart having all that talent in there to, to walk around, had official visitors. Uh, Sam and Pimba is a guy we get a lot of questions about. I still think I like where Georgia is right now with another five-star edge guy out of IMG. So 
we'll have a ton kip hats and stuff steve wolf on this will be one of those deals we'll have to cover all week put up some notes um put up a really good note i thought last night on four-star uh, defensive tackle devin hobbs so out of north carolina big time prospect so a lot of recruiting stuff this week uh, you know if you want to join the site for pennies on the dollar literally uh this is the time to do it yeah our board was covered in intel and all kinds of good recruiting stuff these last few days and that is not going to stop i can guarantee you that well kip you and rusty had worked on a dog treat story just talking about some of the things you guys were hearing and and what you took away from the weekend but what were some of the things that stood out to you and, and some of the things you had heard or or some of your just uh, you know overall takeaways from how the weekend went yeah, uh, you talk about top 100 defensive lineman Devin Hobbs. He's closing out decision. I think it's, what, uh, November 25th? This is one we're coming into the, the weekend. Tennessee was kind of the, the team that had all the momentum. And now you, you look at his recruitment, it's probably in that too close to call range. We're still kind of coming off the Georgia weekend. And as, as Rusty said, it's better just to, to give it a couple of days because they're just getting back home. They're thinking about everything. They got that visit buzz in their head. That's the, you know, that's positive for a program, but that, you know, you have to see where, what the lasting effects of the trip were and where he is in the decision process. And that's kind of where things are with this guy, 6'4", 262 pound prospect out of North Carolina. I, I think right now, uh, George has put themselves in a position to, you know, not just be ahead of the table, to be a program that could land his commitment. And th this is a defensive line class that, again, Trey Scott continues to stack that position room. I had three guys drafted in the first round last year. Everyone talked about, you know, how are they going to, you know, move, uh, move on from that and reload. I think that's exactly what he's trying to do in this class. You put him with a guy like Jamal Jarrett. Uh, those are guys that can really make an impact at the next level. So I think Georgia has a chance there. We're going to continue, like Rusty said, to follow up and see what we hear there. Uh, I think the other thing that's kind of interesting was just the fact that Georgia had a couple wide receivers committed to other programs in town. You look at DeAndre Moore from uh, St. John Bosco in California, committed to Louisville, top 100 prospect, and then Anthony Evans, the Oklahoma commit out of Texas, and that, that was a guy that we thought would, would be already in Georgia's class. One of the more surprising decisions in this cycle. But obviously, Georgia continued to stay in communication with him. And I think right now, you know, you look at this wide receiver class, that's that's obviously a position everyone's kind of asking about. You know, is Georgia going to continue to try to upgrade at the wide receiver position? Those are two guys that'll, you know, that'll change that room real quick for Georgia, especially, the, you know, Anthony Evans with that speed. Uh, you know, Moore is a guy that can kind of do a little bit of everything. And, and you add that to a group with Tyler Williams, uh, you know, Yazid Haynes, who continues to look like a steal for Georgia's coaching staff. That's the one. I, that's the one nobody's talking about. I, I agree with Kip. Like this guy. He, I mean, he's he's got 1,300 yards, 13 touchdowns this year. He's tearing it up out there. Yep. And I think if you're Georgia's coaching staff, now you kind of have a little bit of a grin on your face because you knew you liked what you saw for him in camp. And those camp evals have continued to kind of shine for Georgia the last couple of cycles. And I think, again, this could be that next guy where, you know, Georgia just kind of swooped in there and, and grabbed one of the better players in the country at a position, again, that everyone's kind of uh, watching. And Rusty talked about the impact of this weekend, had, you know, the impact in multiple classes. Ellis Robinson, number one cornerback in the country for 2024, comes out of this trip saying, telling me and telling the other people, Georgia's the team to beat right now. Uh, that is a clear, you know, uh, impact of a visit, a guy that 
George has been in good shape with throughout, you know, the last year. But anytime you can get a kid to saying that the outlet leader in a, a day and an, an age where we're used to seeing, you know, top 30s at this point in the recruitment, maybe trimming things down to top 20s and edit every other week with the, the, the top 20 at the time. Anytime you can get an outright, you know, George is number one for me right now. It, it, you know, it's got to make you feel good, at least where you are in his recruitment right now. And then kind of flipping that to 2025, top 100 quarterback Antoine Hill Jr. Uh, out of Warner Robins. Just the quote that he had kind of stood out in my mind. He came out of that visit and being in Sanford Stadium and said, George is making it hard on other teams to recruit. And anytime you hear something like that, you know that that experience that they were able to have on Saturday is going to have a lasting effect. You know, the, just making it hard on other teams to recruit means that they've set the bar and made it difficult for other, other teams to match that. This was definitely, you know, a perfect storm for Georgia. Just having that matchup. We came into the season, the home schedule didn't really look all that impressive. When will Georgia be able to get recruits on campus? Noon kickoffs, no night games. And, you know, and then this this matchup, this top three matchup uh, gave them an excellent opportunity to get everyone they wanted to get in town. You know, well over 100 visitors, 150 visitors turning kids away. But the experience, the ones that were able to be there will be one that they will remember throughout the recruitment. So I just think, you know, again, Kirby Smart's never had an issue recruiting, but this is one of those uh, class builders that helps them continue to recruit an elite level and maybe win a couple of recruitments they might not have if they didn't get them on campus. Watching these recruitments and just where these players, even past the 2023 cycle, is going to be very fascinating coming out of this weekend. I wanted to tackle this question because I actually got this on a radio hit this morning, and Jordan Harris, our number one fan of the Junkyard Dogcast, asked this earlier. Stetson Bennett for Heisman now, or did the three games get hurt him? There's been a little bit of talk, and, and I'll talk a little bit about my opinion, and then I'll throw it to you, Kip, and then Rusty, you can pick up from there, about the possibility of Stetson honestly being a, a Heisman contender. And, you know, you look at the success he's had, obviously coming off a good showing against Tennessee. And, you know, the point I made on a radio hit this morning is that a lot of the Heisman Trophy is narrative. And who has a better story in the entire college football landscape than Stetson Bennett right now? I mean, the amount of success he's able he's been able to have, where he came from, what he's been able to do. He's got Georgia, you know, as part of this team and what he's done on offense. Georgia is once again a national title contender, obviously going to be the number one team when the playoff ranking comes out on Tuesday night. The thing that makes me hold back and from saying – you know, he's the number one guy right now. Just some of the stats. So he's got 2,606 passing yards, 11 touchdowns, three interceptions. He has multiple rushing touchdowns as well. That touchdown number, I think, is going to hold some people back. You look at guys like C.J. Stroud, I think he might have 29 passing touchdowns. I think some of the statistics are going to hold him back from being that prohibitive favorite but the thing is there's still time in this regular season and obviously he'll have the sec championship as well i think that uh you can't close the book on that possibility like i said people love narrative and uh, stetson's got a great one and i think it's pretty wide open right now as far as the heisman i think that helps stetson and the fact there is no clear top player you know hendon hooker got a lot of attention and rightfully so there for a while but I think this feels pretty wide open, and if Stetson ends the year, you know, playing well and continuing to make big plays, I mean, I, I don't think it's crazy to see him in New York by the time we get 
to that point. Uh, Kip, what are your thoughts as far as the legitimacy of Stetson maybe being a Heisman candidate? Well, right now, you look at it, four four players get New York invites. I think, you know, you look at C.J. Stroud, you still look at Hooker, you look at uh, the Michigan running back, Blake Corum. I think those guys are well-positioned to get invites as long as they continue their level to play. That last spot, I think there's probably uh, four guys in the mix for that right now. You look at Caleb Williams, you look at Drake May, I'd probably give the the edge to Drake May right now. Um, and then, ironically, I mean, Bo Nix is in that mix as well. You know, just the way that he has played, you know, over over the last month or two. Stetson's right there with those guys, I think. Maybe, you know, behind Caleb Williams and May, but still right there. He's got to make a move. The, the way he played on Saturday, you play like that for the next three games and the SEC championship game, uh, you pass. I mean, you, you, pass, you definitely pass Bo Nix. You pass Caleb Williams. And you probably, you maybe you make it a coin flip, you know, between you and, and Drake May right now. I, I think uh, if he, you know he can end up with about thirty five hundred passing yards, uh, you know, for the season. Maybe he gets to thirty six hundred, nineteen touchdowns, four interceptions, and has like ten rushing touchdowns. Uh, you know, depending on if if he steps up in the SEC championship game, I, I think. He's got a chance. If you're playing for, you know, maybe an undefeated team, a team in the college football playoff with those stats, I think that can get you to New York. Uh, you know, it, and that right there would be such a huge accomplishment. I mean, I, again, I don't think he's going to win the Heisman, but just for his journey and and to uh, that would be that that ultimate moment. You know, he's already kind of had it in the national championship, but just that moment of silencing all doubters of his ability. Uh, to play call, you know, play football at the the, the highest level, and so I, I think it's possible. We're talking about the potentially the second most passing yards in a season uh, ever at Georgia, heading into the college football playoff. He'd, he'd be less than 300 behind Aaron Murray. So just overall, uh, he is you know having a an outstanding career, and will end up statistically in the top five in most pat in most stats at Georgia. So. He's got a shot. He's got to continue to play like he did on Saturday. Rusty, your thoughts as far as Stetson's concerned? I mean, slim, slim chance he wins the Heisman. However, to get to New York, he has three auditions. He's going to be on national TV this weekend. He'll be at the CBS game, Kentucky, correct? Is that CBS? Yes. CBS, Kentucky, 330 national game. And then, well, Georgia Tech and then, then he'll have an SEC championship. So if he wants to get in that New York mix, he's going to have three national games out of four. Uh, well, well, I'll say eyes on him because I'm not expecting Georgia Tech to be uh, – they're probably going to be at the same time as Ohio State and Michigan, I would imagine, a noon kickoff there. So you look at that, and that kind of hurts you a little bit. But but he'll have three, he'll have three really good opportunities. And like Kip said, he plays well. Um, I could see him – getting a chance to get to New York, which is an incredible part of this whole story. Now, he'd have to come unhinged to win the Heisman. I mean, he would have to literally four or five touchdowns and just light it up because there's other teams. Like you said, C.J. Stroud's going to have a huge game uh, against this. And, you know, where's Bryce Young and all this, you know? I mean, what happens with him and uh, those types of things. So, Drake May's a guy flying under the radar. I agree with Kip as well. 
Blake Corum, the Ohio State-Michigan game is going to probably eliminate one team and probably eliminate a Heisman guy. So um, we'll, we'll see as that unfolds. But he's got some opportunities, and he I think he's got a, a realistic chance to play himself into a New York invite. And I can't even imagine how fresh his haircut would be if that man was in, in Manhattan for the for the Heisman. Wonder if any of those Tennessee fans are going to text him good luck. Uh, you know that got his number if he he makes a trip up there. Man, I tell you, I mean, I get it. That's why we have jobs. People care. They're passionate about it. But at some point, you don't want to poke that bear to me. And they listen. It's probably a bunch of attorney boys, and I get it. Twenty one years old, I'd have probably done something crazy too. But you don't want to poke that bear. I guarantee you this, that Eric Ains won't put another tweet out if they rematch. I can tell you Josh Heupel's probably put the brakes on that. Uh, uh, and, and you can say what you want, but don't think that that wouldn't motivation to the Georgia fan base and then that ranking uh, with the Georgia players. They talked about it. You know, uh, Stetson Ben's the first thing he said on the field was we felt like we're number one and you're coming to our house. You got to come, you got to come take it from us. So, um, you know, I think everything could kind of a perfect storm of that deal, but, uh, I'm interested in Hooker. I'm interested in how he plays the rest of the year because, you know, can people duplicate what Georgia did? Can they bring that pressure and control the line of scrimmage? Because did he have some open throws? He did have some open throws, but that's what happens when you have people in your face. It makes you overthrow people. If Hendon Hooker is throwing, pitching against air, he hits both of those balls. But when you got people in your face, that makes things difficult, and that's a part of football. So I'm interested to see how people play them because I said on here and I said on the board, Tennessee may run through Georgia, but they were not going to play zone, and they didn't. Now, what everybody else say, we can't play zone because Tennessee will put 50 on us. we got to challenge them. Do you have the personnel to do that? We'll find out the rest of the year with those guys. Before we get out of here on this episode, let's talk just briefly about Mississippi State. We'll have a preview episode. We're going to record it. On Wednesday with Paul Jones from over there on the Mississippi State 247 site. Uh, but just wanted to get y'all's general thoughts about this matchup, Georgia having to go on the road. I'll start with you, Kip. What are your thoughts about this matchup? You know, it's a game that, honestly, in the summer, I sort of circled as maybe Georgia's biggest upset alert. Um, not sure if I quite feel that way, obviously, with Tennessee making the surge it did this season. But um, what do you think about this matchup with Mississippi State and what Georgia's getting into? Well, now you, you kind of do have that, you know, after the big game. Uh, is there a low coming off of that high? Can Georgia maintain that same level of focus going on the road? Uh, night game. Cowbells ringing left all over the place. Uh, and against a, a relentless uh, passing attack. They're not going to be afraid to throw the ball, you know, 50, 60 times if they have to. Um, that is a, that those all add up to uh, you, you have to be focused. You cannot let up. You cannot have mental lapses and mental mistakes because, you know, again, uh, they should be able to come out of this game, you know, with a double digit win. But you can't have, you know, a, a snowball effect of mistakes early in the game that puts you in, in bad situations. You have to come out and continue to play the same level of football that you showed against Tennessee and build yourself a comfortable lead so where you can, you know, you can settle in in an opposing SEC stadium and continue to use the playbook on both sides of the ball that you're most comfortable with. 
because you do not want to get in uncomfortable situations and, and, and have to do things that you're not used to doing. And so that's really the key for Georgia. The matchups in this game favor Georgia well, but again, you got to make sure that they don't have time to uh, to, to push the ball down the field because they're going to try to do that against Georgia. Russie, uh, what are your thoughts as far as what this game and, and what Georgia's getting into playing Mississippi State? So I'm looking at my season predictions, and on August the 2nd at 4.30 in the afternoon, I said this is the game that you need to worry about. And I said two emotional games, Florida and Tennessee. Here's where – this is where if you want to have a concern with Georgia facing a team like this, this is going to test Kirby Smart and Glenn Schumann and Will Muschamp and those guys because you have to play them different. You have to be patient against this offense because if you play straight up man-to-man, they will pick and rub route you to death. We all remember Mike Leach's first game when LSU was defending national champs. They had NFL guys all over the field. Well, they played man-to-man the entire game, and they got beat because they got rubbed route and picked route. That's exactly what Mike Leach wants you to do. He wants you to play man-to-man. He wants you to be in their face. So this type of game, you have to be patient, and you have to be really good in the red zone, and you have to have them kick field goals, and he doesn't want to kick field goals at all. Now, uh, tackle. Somebody mentioned here tackle Jordan Harris. That's a good point. If you're going to keep guys in front of you, you got to tackle. And the first time Georgia faced this offense, they had some issues with it. Now, how much game tape and how much did you learn from that and those types of things? And it's just a little different attack this week. So, you know, I know that that, that Georgia's like, hey, let's man up and blitz and all that. You, you can't do that to this team because next thing you know, you're in a fourth quarter game and you're like, what happened? So uh, it's, it, it, tackling's going to be key, being patient, uh, formations. They run a million different formations. they got a really good quarterback. Uh, running backs from Atlanta, I love Marks from Carver High School. I thought he was great in high school. You know, I thought some teams missed on him that, that he got to, to Mississippi State, to be honest. You know, so um, this is this is going to be a night game. Those bells are loud. I mean, you you got to kind of control the momentum here and, and knock them out because you could get into a four-quarter game in Starkville. I guarantee you you can. And um, it will be interesting to see how they play them this week because – it's a totally different kind of approach to how you want to play this thing. You got to tackle in space, man. And you got to have bodies because they will wear you out. So many pass plays having to rush to pass for those big guys. Rusty mentioned that win over LSU and Mississippi State legend KJ Costello. Everybody remembers uh, what he did uh, after that game. Not quite as much. But yeah, it's going to be a big matchup. I kind of talked about this earlier today. You know, that offense, it can be the, uh, you know, death by a thousand paper cuts by the way they attack you. And, you know, I got to see that last season, which I still can't believe this was only like a year ago, but them come back against Auburn. And I mean, it was like, it was one of those situations where it was like, well, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? I mean, they just worked their way back and found holes in the Auburn defense, was able to make the comeback. So it's going to be a very fascinating game, especially being on the road uh, at seven o'clock Eastern time. And, uh, Getting to hear a whole lot of cowbells getting ready for that. May, may bring my earplugs for that one. <laughs> before before we get out of here, I'll do my quick uh, Georgia men's basketball minute. They opened the season on Monday night, played Western Carolina. They win 
had a big first half lead and it was a situation where Western Carolina made it pretty interesting. They got within about two with eight minutes to go. Georgia closes the game out. Kerry Oquindo, I wrote about this on Monday night, clearly still Georgia's best player, um, but he's not alone this time. You know, I think that they have done a good job of surrounding him with talent. Thought that they did a very good job, had 41 defensive rebounds. I think that would be news to a lot of people who have watched them the last few years. Thought they looked like they played hard. Thought they played much better defense than we saw during the 2021-22 season. Um, Still very interested in this team. You can tell that they are still learning how to play together. Had six transfers this offseason come into the program. Also got a high school uh, four-star power forward that has joined the team as well. Uh, They are getting a huge test on Friday. They play at Wake Forest. Um, I'm not sure Georgia's got the horses to keep up with a team like that. But I think that's going to be a very good barometer to see where this team is as they, you know, really get into non-conference play, a non-conference slate that I think is fairly favorable and uh, has a chance to give them a few wins. (laughs) Jordan Harris said, did they look terrible? I wouldn't say they look terrible. They definitely have some stuff to work on, 21 turnovers. Um, I thought there were missed opportunities, and um, Western Carolina was able to hit some big threes and had some open looks that, you just can't allow when they're when they're playing teams even like Notre Dame, but then in SEC play, uh, they're going to get in real trouble if they um, kind of lag off on defense in some of those situations. But uh, with that, we're going to wrap up the podcast. Uh, thanks to Kip, thanks for Rusty for popping on. Thanks for everybody who watched this live, listened to it live, and uh, thanks to everybody who is watching or listening to it after the fact. Make sure and go subscribe to the Dogs Two Four Seven YouTube page. We got all good. All kinds of good content there. And uh, we'll wrap it up with that. Thanks, everybody. Until next time, take care. Go Hawks. Rise up.